Gaming NBS episode 223, recorded Sunday, December 30th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. If you've been here before, glad to have everybody here. I, uh, we survived the first part of the holidays. And let's see, tomorrow for us is uh, New Year's Eve. Last day of 2018 is tomorrow. Um, Sean, have you got any, <clears throat> got any crazy plans for New Year's Eve? Are you like a big New Year's Eve blowout, get fucking hammered, be that guy? No, but 2018 can go screw itself. This is all I got to say. Um, no, it's, it's interesting. Everybody, at the end of every year, I can find somebody who it's been their worst year. Yeah, it hasn't been a great year. I don't know if it's been the worst year. I'm just saying it's <laughs> it's always somebody has it bad, no matter yes. where you are. It's never the best. Anyway. Yeah, I don't plan on going anywhere necessarily again. Unless I stop by my buddy Doc's, but we're not even, Tam and I aren't even going out to dinner. No. We went out last night. Yeah, we, dude, it's amateur hour, man. And we oh, it's have, totally amateur. It's absolutely what? amateur night. It's, honestly, Susan and I are staying home too. Just easier. Yeah, just. I've also home. found the most restaurants I go to, um, like, you know what? We haven't had, I haven't had a steak. I need a steak. I'm going to cook the best steak. I'll get my own cut. I can grill it the way I want it to. It will taste better than 90% of the places I've gone. So what the hell? Well, I can't say that. No? This could just I, suck at grilling. Well, I can't say that of your steak. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, good Lord. It's just crowded. It's. I mean, I, I definitely want to live, so I don't want to get out on the road. Hey, with hey, crazy. hey. <laughs> We're two guys who are too old for this shit. That'd be us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you're going out, be safe for Christ's sake. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, I mean, it. this thing will drop after New Year, so we yeah. hope that none of you are listening to this in the ICU or anything crazy. Right. Oh, Lordy. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, other things, shit that's creeping up on me. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait, 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 you got something else? So having said the whole New Year upon us, Brett, mm-hmm. and I didn't go back to listen to this ep- this episode at this time last year to find out like what Brett's big promises were and whether he delivered or not. Uh, do you have one? Oh, man, that, that's just New Year's talk, man. That's like, I know. It's like, whatever. I know, man. It's like, you'd say it in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but having said that, uh, do you have anything, like one thing that you would like to do or achieve in 2019? Yes, yeah, so sp- I will spend more time outside. That's okay. That's all right. I had, I had, I said that last year and I did, I had more time field than I had the previous year and this year will be more so. So you more. you last year said, hey, I'm gonna spend more time outside and you did. Yep, I did and I will, this con- I will increase year, it even further. Even further. Not enough fresh air. <clears throat> Never enough fresh air, man. No, seriously, yeah. I, I feel better and I have I enjoy it a lot. And it's one of those things that my son and I and my youngest daughter like being outside and doing stuff and I'm just gonna jack it up and do more. It's fun. We do owe. We do owe patrons target practice. Demo. Well, as soon as as soon as you get the spine to come out here, I've got a rifle range and I've got weapons. So, well, that didn't sound very invite inviting actually. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you knew what you were doing. 
Well, I mean, just the way you phrase that. Okay. But Seriously, though, as soon as you, as soon as you're ready, willing, and able, I've uh, we'll make time and we'll make it happen. Oh my god! All right. Um, what about gaming? Anything gaming? <sighs> I've said this on uh, MeWe in a couple of ways. I want to run more stuff. I had more a re- stuff. You want to run more? Yeah, I want to run a little bit more, and I think I need to do some more online gaming. There's plenty of opportunities where I'm like, ah, I got nothing going on this weekend. I bet you I could carve out three hours, four hours and run a one-shot game for some folks. I could pull that off. We've got patrons we were thinking about running games for and so on that we want to do. And I'm like, you know, I could probably, I could uh, maybe get in on that. Once EverCon, I think I mentioned this to you before, once EverCon is over, um, I'll have more time. I do have um, games for my for the Avalon Kickstarter I'll have to run. But, yeah. um, I mean, there's, there's, I like running games, and I don't think I ran enough last year. You said you want to run more stuff. Do you want to run just more, or do you want to run more different things? Yes. Do you both? both? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I've got games I have that I haven't run in a long time that I want to. I was talking with some of my my buddies and uh, up in my hometown, and we were Nick and I were talking, and I said, I don't know if so-and-so in the group would like this game. He goes, you know what? You can run what you want, and there's enough of us. He said, we game Every other week up here, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you know what? If a couple of guys don't want to play that particular rule set, they don't have to play. We'll all still be friends, man. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'll run a game. Y'all don't want to play? That's fine. If I got less than eight guys at the table and there's only four of us or five of us, yeah, that'll be fine. That's crazy. I know. It's crazy talk. Nuts. That Nick guy. Um, I am very used to being the guy who runs the game that everybody else wants. Do, oh. that, do that for 20 plus years. It's kind of in your genes at this point. Yeah. Anyway, what about you, man? Well, I am starting my game, getting underway and organizing the online game that I owe some of our BS occult members. Okay. Um, so I think we've got six people that have signed up at that level. I don't know if every single one of them wants the game. I know Joe and Kev are one of the ones that I was kind of wondering, and they're like, yeah, as long as I can squeak, squeak swing the schedule. Great. Curtis Takahashi, if you're listening to this, man, I'm waiting on you, dude. You're the outlier. Otherwise... Damn it, uh, Curtis, get in there. I know. So we ha- I have everybody lined up. So I I filled all the slots. So I may, I may open it up depending on who can make it or not. Okay. Got together a survey. Got everybody, but I think... Well, and Tony. Tony might have actually completed it. Tony Sugarloaf Baker. So Curtis may be the only one that hasn't completed the survey. So I know what communication tools they prefer to use, which were looks like we're going to go with Hangouts. I'm a little reluctant about that because I don't know if Google's going to squash that. Got to game fast then, man. Game well, fast, okay. game hard. Go, we, go. We all, we, all, we all agree on Hangouts, and then it's like gone in April. Um, We'll figure that out. But uh, first of all, I got to go, okay, I got to go from Patreon to how do we communicate like coordinate schedules and other questions and all this other stuff. So hangouts got everybody in there. And then it's just a matter of looking at what games they've played. Have they played online? What is their most recent game? When did they most recently play? So most of them have played within the last month. So none, none. Do you have a, what are you going to run? So I haven't decided because they're they're. I said, hey, name three games you would lo- really like to play, and I think out of everybody, there isn't a single one game that really? is like across all of them. Really, 
I will be willing to bet, knowing the folks in that list, if you said, hey, one of you mentioned this game, would you guys be in for it? Everybody be like, yeah, sure, we'll try that. That is true. There are a couple, like, Joe doesn't care. Like, I don't think Kev really cares over i mean he obviously i asked them what three they would like to play so i don't think it's a matter of like i want to play this or I'm no one listed fatal so you're safe nobody listed fatal thank you guys for, <laughs> for not listing that but i got that and then the schedule it looks like tuesdays seem to be a consistent night so i i gave them slots and said which ones work for you based on my schedule he <laughs> he and so they they said these are the three and then I listed a bunch of characteristics like role-playing. What is important to you? What is least important? Role-play, plot, story, um, you know. Uh, this is list- a newer, softer Sean. This I got a, a lot of info, but it was very quick. Like it literally would take somebody to take five minutes to get this done. Nice. And so I can look at it and go, okay, Josh Wallace, you know, answered these. Paul answered these. I got it. Okay, this is, I better make sure I get this involved. You know, then there's, I put genre, like what top three genre would you like to, or you, you find satisfying or you prefer, you know, espionage, real life. I mean, it's good. I got a good freaking solid, I think, starting out survey, which I will put together all kind of the details of the questions and answers that I have, or not the answers, but the questions. And I'll put it out in a document and people, if they want to set up their own little survey just to throw up in case they want to start a group. Great. So that is done. And now I'm going to have to just decide on what we're going to play and how. The other thing I also asked was duration wise. Do you like one shots or do you like epic campaigns that span over a year? And then everything in between. And now it's now I've got people that are like, oh, I really prefer a one shot. Then a shorter, you know, a shorter one, and then a little longer, and then a little longer. And then I have another person that was the complete opposite, like the most epic, long campaign, mini campaign. You're muted. Mini campaign. I'm sorry, I was just cussing out Swick. I know Swick's the outlier. He's the one making us just miserable. <laughs> I'm to joke. But again, I think. It. But no. I think you're right. I think some of these guys would just be like, whatever, dude. You know, I'm I'm all like Josh is like, hey, I filled it out, but I'm willing to play anything. It, the interesting thing about doing this is we talked about this last time. You send it out there. People will say stuff like, hey, yeah. And then somebody – It's the, the idea is to start the conversation is right. what we try to leave it with is like, hey, do you like this? Yeah. No. You know, Seriously, I prefer this stuff, but you know what? I'm up for whatever. That conversation started. They gave you data, and then they said, yeah, but I'll also do whatever the group wants. Well, that's pretty fucking cool. And um, it starts the conversation, which is the main the main piece. Instead of trying to guess what people want, you're getting actual data, which is cool. So I was thinking about kids on bikes or tales from the loop, but if there isn't a real, I mean, I think there's one person that's chosen one of those games. Yeah. You're probably thinking about playing something more interesting. I get it. Well, uh, (laughs) so now, now it's, now it's kind of determining what would everybody enjoy doing at, at the same time. And I don't think there's a common ground, but I don't think it's a deal breaker for everybody. Cool. So that's what that's what happens though when you get the communication piece. Okay, we're gonna hangouts now. I can actually per, you know poke and prod these guys. Anyways, so yeah, uh, we'll see. Uh, to be determined on what game is actually gonna happen. 
going to happen. It may just be 5e, man. I don't run Tomb of Annihilation, call it a day, or maybe it's going to be old school one shots or not one shots, but maybe old school modules. And we'll just start off with, like I said before, we're going to start level one characters. Do-do-do. I have one thing to say to all that piggyback. That's all I'm saying. Piggyback. Piggyback. Based on what you just said. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Right. Piggyback. Yeah. Right. It, it, it depends what you do. They'll know. They'll, they'll know. They will. Whatever I do, they'll know. They'll know. If you do the right, if you do the one <laughs> thing and they use that, oh, they'll know. Dude, oh, that, they'll know. I'm not, I'm, I'm completely confused over here. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell Brett's talking about. Uh, oh, but let's transition to something else, Brett. What's that? You watched a movie this weekend. I did. I watched The Thing. Sean, you did? Sean, you crazy bastard. He bought me The Thing. I watched it with my wife, my lovely wife. And she looked at me halfway through and said, is this Sean's fault? I said, yeah. You don't like it? She goes, this is like two hours of my life. I'll never get back. Come on now. I didn't buy it for your wife, though. I know. And um, she says when you're at Evercon this year that she'll give you her review. Which doesn't sound very appealing to me. Like It sounds yeah, like but... she's going to like lay down the law with me. No, 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 no. That's my wife saying, get your ass to Evercon. You oh, I thought, I, well, th- I was going to say that is not the way for me to, to entice me to go somewhere is giving me a... A threat? Yeah, a mouthful, <laughs> right? I liked it. It was, um, it's obviously... I don't 80s... know how, I don't know how well it ages. It's obviously an 80s movie and it is not scary to me. It did not frighten me at all. Yeah. Um, the special effects, I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, how much gelatin can one can one crew really splash on everything? However, the characters were great. The way they played the the terror, the panic between. <laughs> they reminded me of putting a doppelganger in the middle of a party. And everybody goes fucking apeshit. Trying to figure out who's really what and how's this going to happen and what's what and how crazy it is. And um, it's actually amazing when you watch it. You're like, oh, I ran a game like I mean, if you're a gamer at some point, you're like, oh, I ran a game like this. Oh, I played this. Oh, I read this story. Oh, I read something similar to this. It's really, really well executed, though. It's a lot of fun. So it's a damn good movie. I had a good time with it. Wife hated so you, it, but I like it. So you enjoyed it. I did. So it was worth watching. And I need that hat. That hat is kicks ass. Yeah, Susan's like, no, you don't need that hat. Like, yes, kicks, I need that hat. That's his prime, Kurt Russell, I think, around that time. So I did some research afterwards, and they were talking about how the scene with the Norwegian um, base, that yeah. was the American base. They just filmed it after they blew it up and burned it mm. because he couldn't afford to do multiple bases. So he just went to that one after it had been destroyed and filmed it after the fact. And um, because I, I pretty much knew what was going on because the movie had been out for a while. As soon as it starts happening, like, why are they doing this? Oh, that's what that is. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stupid players. Oh, look at. Oh, Lord. Oh, this isn't going to end well. Oh, look. Blood death. <laughs> it's kind of like watching it and knowing what's going to happen. It's like being the game master with a really cool plot going, wow, this is good. Wow, you guys are. You, you ate that, huh? Wow, you, you, you really? You drink that? Really? Oh, wow. This is this is great. You guys are crazy bastards. It's It was fun. I had a really good time with it. Yeah, that's good, man. I wouldn't steer you wrong with that movie. That was a good one. All right. Well, awesome, man. Got that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I know Eileen hasn't seen it as of this recording, which is fine, but 
I would go out and find it. So iTunes, I found it for like four ninety nine. So the iTunes. thing is, because I have it on iTunes, yeah, I'm wondering if we have to find some way that I like download it to an iPad and play it at the gaming and BS booth next year <laughs> or something. We could just have a, a mini stupid screening of the thing. I don't know. Talk to we talk to Alex about it. I don't know. That's goofy. Oh, anyhow, anything else? Anything else we need to clean up on, man? Um, no, but I did want to announce the winner for January's dice from awesomedice.com. Oh yeah. Anybody who enters our mailing list, you get into uh, uh win a set for or once a month. We're going to do this for a while. Yeah. We're going to do it once a month, probably until mid 2019. So who's the, dice. who's the first lucky son of a gun? Mark Anthony Benedetti. Sweet. Yeah. So Mark, uh, with your permission, I'll have to get that from you. So I will email you and say, Hey, is it okay if I get you? Your email to awesomedice.com and uh, make sure that they can get your info so they could send you a set of dice. I mean, how the hell do you turn down free dice? Very cool, though. Yeah, yeah. So does not end here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll we'll go next month. Uh, we'll remove Mark out of consideration since he's already won. Uh, no offense, Mark, but we don't want you chalking up too many dice over there. Exactly. So spread it around. But we'll have a drawing in January. All you got to do is go to gamingnbs.com, sign up at our email list, and you'll be automatically entered to win. Very cool. That's it. The other piece that, well, I got two pieces. Last call for EverCon. Uh, when we get together and record, EverCon will have occurred, which reminds me, Sean, I can't record on that Sunday. We'll have to do that Monday. What? Because I'm running EverCon, dude. I'll be a busy dude. <sighs> I know. But anyway, Evercon is coming this next as of today. It's in five days. So uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Get your ass there. Evercon.org. We've talked about it plenty. Look it up. And uh, of course, the streets of Avalon, my Kickstarter, is still going strong. We've uh, done pretty well. I think we passed the first half dozen plus <laughs> of uh, stretch goals. We're going to run out of stretch goals. Whip. That's totally fine by me. Happy as a clam. Yeah, what did we hit? We just hit the Urban Barbarian at 7,000, so we're a little bit past that. Right now, we wanted three grand to kick it, which we did. And we're now, as of right now, I'm at $7,230 with 17 days to go as of today, December 30th. So this ends January 17, 2019. So if it's something you're interested in, go out, take a look at it. And um, I said this last time, and um, I'll say it again. Thank you, everybody in the community. Even if this isn't your thing, I know for a fact that some of you have told friends of yours that were like, hey, this would be something so-and-so would like, and you passed passed it to them because they have come back to me and said that, hey, yeah, my friend listens to you guys. I now started listening to you, and oh, by the way, really cool Kickstarter. I backed it. So thank you for folks who have done that. That has been very, very cool. Um, and yeah. And uh, Phil Vacchione is doing the awesome project manager thing. Every time I get overly excited, creator guy going, hey, we could do this. Could we do that? He just goes, scope creep, bam, and he slaps me with a with a pembok, which, slow, which slows me down. Boo, Phil, boo. <laughs> no, no, no. Boo, scope no. creep. Yay, no, I, scope creep. No, I'll tell you, man, once you doing this, I totally understand why certain people running Kickstarters without a crew, without people helping support them and somebody keeping their eye on the ball. Crazy ass shit can happen. Oh, we could have this. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't be hard to do. Oh, we could do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, this again. Ah. And you start salivating. And- you can't. You need to keep your eye on the prize. Be smart. And remember, there's layout to be done. There's artists to do, uh, to pay. There's all this there, stuff. There's backers to satisfy, Brett. Exactly. And I want to make sure that when 
the book comes out that it's got everything that, you know, everybody paid for. It has to be in there. And if we do something crazy and try to stretch ourselves too far in crazy ass ways, it compromises the end product for our backers. And that's just fucking stupid. So Phil, Chris, and the Encoded team, uh, thank you guys very much for keeping me on track, in line, and all that good stuff. Because uh, apart from you guys, my wife is the only other person who's ever figured out how to do that. So bravo to you. Anyway, there we go. There Shall you we? go. Let's go on. All right, let's get into Random Encounter. Random Encounter. Voicemails, emails, comments from social media, the whole ball of wax. We got you a few. You can week. start. You can start. All right. Todd Crapper writes in, Yar, forgive me for not writing in sometime as my ship were sailing upon the heaving bosom that is the ocean and we not yet be able to dock till now, which is another way of saying I've just finished the episode on seafaring adventures and couldn't help but reflect on an adventure I created for my homebrew campaign oh so many years ago. What got me thinking about it was how Sean's mentions of the Pathfinder Adventure Paths first module was, well, uneventful. Like a lot of things, get ready, Sean. It depends. Nice. He's top-notch, that Todd. Sly devil. Sly devil. He's something else. This goes back to my D&D 3.5 campaign that borrowed elements from the Earth Dawn setting from FASA at the time. After having the PCs escape from an uncharted island, itself the result of finding themselves teleported to an unknown world and escaping from a Dracolich story I think I shared in my first message to the store. Show store. Huh. My original plan was to have them wash up on shore at the start of the next adventure until it dawned on me that being lost at sea is a very dangerous event that would be a shame to gloss over. So I created an adventure that started off with the PCs and a few oh-so-willing-to-stab-you-in-the-back NPCs lost at sea aboard nothing more than a raft. What I wanted to get across to them was the terrifying sensation of being lost on water with no idea how to find land or if they would ever find land. For an entire se session, they were adrift at sea, trying to use their magic, skill checks, and anything else to just find land, because that's how they played at the time. Let the dice solve the problem, they would say. For an entire session, they struggled to find safe drinking water, food, and avoid social conflicts between themselves and the NPCs, which included a knoll, if I remember correctly. For an entire session, I played a continuous loop on a cassette tape. That's how long ago it was. That's a long time ago. Oh, my God. Of Ocean Waves was on there. Everybody had to pee like every 10 minutes. To complicate matters, they were being stalked by a giant shark that was more than a mere giant shark picking them off one by one. It wasn't until the players started to realize they had no clue how to reach land that I had things start moving forward. Cruel thing for a DM to do, I know, but it was effective in establishing the harshness of the world I was laying out for them. Things weren't going to come easy, and while my players would go into hyper-aggressive twitches if I ever played that tape again, it was impressive to see how these characters were cool and strong on land, but helpless on the water. It's one of the strengths of placing adventures on the water and other locations that test some of the basics we take for granted as land creatures. Something I wish I had learned while running games like Planescape with vastly unique and dangerous worlds 
where things like oxygen and gravity were optional. Anywho, I've been enjoying the show as always and really dig this idea of patrons being able to play games with you fellers. In fact, I'd be happy to offer up some online games of High Plains Samurai for your patrons as an additional incentive. If this is something that sounds doable, let me know and we can work out that particulars. Anything I can do to help out one of my favorite podcasts, but enough sucking up. It's time to set course for uncharted islands and buried treasures. Yar, and keep up the good work, you scallywags. Well, Todd, I'll tell you, man, that sounds, if you're willing to step up and run some high planes, man, I don't see why we would turn you down, Sean. Yeah, we'll put out a level out there and see if we can get some people to sign up for Todd's uh, high planes games. That sounds awesome. Todd, thank yeah. you. That is very generous. And I love the story. I like the idea. And that is, <laughs> the, let the dice solve our, solve our problems. I can't roll for shit. None of this is working. Yes. Yes, I know. You're in the middle of the goddamn ocean. I <laughs> That we've talked about music and other things on the show before, uh, ages back, and that's one of the things I think is interesting when you have a set piece like that where you're on the ocean. You can have recurring ocean sounds and just play it on a loop because shit doesn't change. You don't have to feel like, oh, they're in the dungeon, oh, they're in the sewer, oh, they're in the castle, oh, they're back in the woods. Nope, they're in one place. Hit play and hit shuffle if you feel like it. You got two or three of them, but just play it over and over and over. I like that. I like it a lot. That's very cool. All right. You ready, Sean? Yeah, man. All right. Chris Carlton. Hey, guys. Something I've done for years with my players is create a gaming prospectus, and we have and have the players vote on or rate each campaign based on the level of interest. We'll take suggestions from the player based on what they'd like to play next and tweak the idea as needed. This is typically done as we're sitting around the table wrapping up a session. Each campaign gets a short write-up. Age of Gold, for example, Age of Gold. Masked mystery men battling horrifying villains. Genre, pulp, supers, horror, supernatural. Setting, a world based in the 1930s of our own history, but it's a version of the past era in which magic of several kinds works and is being exploited with increased increasing enthusiasm by those few gifted folk who can get it to function or have been imbued with supernatural powers by blind by destiny or blind chance. The 1930s corresponded to the later part of the pulp era and the very early days of the golden age of superhero comics. And that's very relevant here. Age of gold is an age of pulp magic and arcane superheroics character roles adventures in the setting. Maybe two fisted pulp style heroes battling evil masterminds with grit, skill and scholarship or masked mystery men, alchemically transformed into something more than human. System, GURPS, point level 500, which is very important in a GURPS style game. Um, style, pulp slash cinematic, which is also very helpful for running GURPS as an aside from Brett. Because it helps you figure out what kind of uh, skills, abilities, and powers and such that would be available. He goes on to say, then, these are rated 1 to 5, 1 being a meh level of interest, and 5 being, I demand we play this game. I then add up all the players' ratings for each campaign, and the highest rated is what we play next. In recent years, I've automated this a bit using Google Forms. Actual example, we've got a little link in the show notes. Another great show, as always. Well, thank you, Chris. I think that's, if you can get the group to buy into that, this type of approach is something I think I could do with my home group as well, because I've known the guys for a long time. I could say, hey, here's the thing, vote. Use a 1 to 5 scale, and um, there you go. I think it would work really well like that. With a group you don't know as well, I think it might be a little trickier to get people to vote. Then somebody might feel, feel like they hadn't been heard or whatever the case is. But uh, this is something your group would enjoy trying. I think it's a good it's a good approach, man. I like it. Yeah, it's super cool type of approach. I like it. I like how he's got it formatted. Like, 
the title of the campaign, the genre, the setting, character roles, the system, you know, and a couple other things that might pertain to even style pulp cinematic. I mean, when you think that again, what does it do? It helps to start the questioning. Well, pulp cinematic to me means like Indiana Jones. It's really hard to kill me. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. Oh, wow. That also means to me that mooks die easily. Ding, ding. Exactly. Again, sir. Carry on. You know, and you get to have that level setting discussion based on a couple of key phrases and, uh, and, uh, little genre hints and such that you got here. I like it. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting us know about that, Chris. And anybody will have a link in, uh, his automated or using Google forms, um, which I have not looked at, but we'll put that in the show notes. Cool. Over to you, sir. Wilhelm person emails us. Hi guys. I just listened to the recent episode on kids on bikes and tales from the loop. Brett didn't seem all that convinced about playing kids. Smiley face. (laughs) A couple of years back, I wrote a game in the same genre. Perhaps it would be a better fit. Anyway, thanks for a great show. I found it 10 episodes ago and I'm now making my way through the back catalog. Wilhelm. So in it, so adding on to Wilhelm's email to check out a cult. That's O-K-U-L-T on drive-thru. We'll have a link in the show notes. Here's a synopsis of his game. You grew up in hometown. Uh, you grew up in hometown, but moved out when that's you That's hometown with a capital H, so it's hometown. Yes, It's like hometown. growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, or right. Chicago, Illinois. Hometown proper, but moved out when you entered adulthood. A decade later, you're in your 30s, and the return to hometown brings back memories. Forgotten events are remembered, and together you begin to unravel the town's sinister secrets. Occult is a story game set in place that looks and feels like your own hometown, and you play someone who is just a little bit like yourself. Play proceeds both in the present and in flashbacks into the past as you explore the horrors of what, if, and could have been. Occult is GMless and plays well with three to four players. It's uh, $9.99, so 10 bucks over at drive-thru. Yes. I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds interesting. If nothing yes. else, just from the that approach, I like that. Huh. Yeah, it it's that one would remind me of more of a like kind of a Stephen King. Where a lot of there's a I don't know any movies that come to mind. I know there's some that are out there, but it's like you return back home, and everything that were kind of quirky is now maybe still in place, maybe not. Things are older. No, it's it's interesting. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm really tempted to grab it because how does Wilhelm grab onto it and how does it mechanically work right. and so on and so forth. But I like the idea. GMless, that's an interesting, that's a huge dynamic there. It is. I have not played GMless games. I don't think ever. Brett, you, have you ever played Fiasco? No. Oh, Fiasco, we got, Fiasco we doesn't play. interest me. It, does, it may not interest you, but it, why doesn't it interest you? I don't know. There's something about it. I guess. So here's the here's my thing. Everybody I've talked to, I hear, oh, it plays like a Coen Brothers movie. I'm like, interesting. Wow. And then I talk to everybody who's played it. It turns into a version. It, well, not only just a shitstorm, but a variation of um, Cards Against Humanity. Uh, and if I want, that's not, I, I'm saying what I oh. have been told. When I talk to a lot of people, I get that vibe off it. I'm like, I can play Cards Against Humanity. I don't need to play Fiasco to do that. I've not. It's been, oh, it's thoroughly fucked up, and this happened. Oh, my God, blah, craziness, and oh, my God, insanity. 
like this doesn't feel like a Coen Brothers movie. It just feels like a bunch of people making up funny stuff. It doesn't seem like there's, I don't know, just doesn't trip my trigger. Based on what I've heard. Now, I will try it. I think it's a place, you got to get the right play set. Most likely. Which varies from one thing to the other. And it has, you have to be in a frame of mind where it's, if you're even playing like a Cthulhu-based or a horror-based play set, there is an underlying, I would even go as far to say kookiness that it has to occur because there's a tilt in the game. So when shit hits the fan, you kind of have to look at it as like, oh my God, I can't believe that's happening. Like so I said, not, I would try it. I just, yeah. I the reason know. I bring that up is I think Fiasco would be fun depending on the play set again. And there's no GM. Mm-hmm. So it's all literally your relationship to your left and your right. Anyways. We'll have to see. Yeah. All right. So Gabe, uh, Gabe Day, um, Gabe Dying writes in. Um, let's see about good Lord. I lost my pace there. I skipped around. Gabe, there you are. There you are, Gabe. I was thoroughly entertained by how absolutely uninterested Brett was in kids on bikes RPGs. I had a pretty good idea for a short story around Halloween this year and ran a one-shot of Dark Places and Demogorgons for my home group. My genius setup was this. An abandoned brick house with, a boarded, with boarded up windows is owned by the funeral home across the street. In the basement of this house is Great Grandpa, who has become a ghoul. He sits chain, chained to the floor, pleasantly reading arcane text while being fed by his sons and grandsons who now run the funeral home. The, body of, the bodies, of course, are the recently deceased. The remains of the innocent town folk are replaced to satisfy their loved ones with uh, magic pig carcasses. <laughs> that sounds that sounds lovely. Uh, my genius plot <laughs> was this. One of the kids, one of the player characters, recently had a beloved D&D tome taken from him by a bully at school that day. The kid said, if you want your book back, you have to come get it at the abandoned house across from Griswold and Son's funeral home. Plot complication. The local coven of witches is meeting in the main floor of the abandoned house on this very night. What happened? The players made it as far as the first floor of the house where they encountered hook-handed Mr. Michaels, or whatever we named him, who was also the kid's shop teacher at school. He asked what book they were looking for, Unintentional Gold, Unearthed Arcana. Mr. Michaels was very interested and invited the kids to join their coven. Did they? No. In fact, they left the house entirely, deciding to go trick-or-treating instead. Entirely walked away from the adventure. Looked for the best candy at the best houses. Sounded like Brett would have been thrilled. <laughs> we were invited in for drinks by a drunk woman in a bad marriage. One kid slow danced with a woman and got into a fistfight with a woman's estranged husband when he came home. In the end, they went to the bully's houses where they were met at the door by the bully's super hot older sister whom everyone was crushing on. She was busy on a phone with a very long cord. She assumed the kids were a friend of her brother, so invited them up to his room where they found their book, a lot of potential blackmail material. So for me, the one shot was a wreck, but the players insisted they had a great time and I want to play it every holiday. Oh, we'll see. But Brett, fellow Merper, have you seen what's going on in Italy? Some cool people appear to be designing a Merp rewrite. I'm totally on board so far. I'm going to introduce the playtest to my group in late January. Gabe. Gabe, I did not know about that. I'm going to go check that out. Holy crap. Now, I got there's a link that Gabe has in his email signature, which is www.vsdarkmaster.com. We'll have that in the show notes. No, this draws upon the inspiration of the works of Tolkien, Le Guin, Terry Brooks, Goodkind, and so forth. So I believe this is what he's talking about. I don't think it is, though. Is it the same thing? It looks, it reminds me of. I would think if it was in Italy, it would be in Italian. So I don't know if it's the same. Don't know. 
I don't know if Gabe, dude, you gotta let us know. Is VS Dark Master your stuff, or is that the Merp thing you're re- you're referring to? I think it's the Merp thing he's talking about. Because it looks pretty cool. Yeah, against the Dark Master is a game I would have liked to play if it existed before I was defeated. Sauron. Okay. <laughs> Famous last words. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Okay. That looked pretty cool. Could Kickstarter coming in 2019, I think, right? Yeah. Looks like. Cool, cool. All right. All right. Here I get to tackle Matt. Go at so, it. This one's a little late. Matt Matt commented on this a while ago, and we've just put it in the, the show now, so I apologize to Matt. All right, here we go. On Seafaring Adventures, I've never really ran nor played in a full seafaring campaign as you described it. I did get to start Skull and Shackles and have played plenty with ships and, com- and combat. I also ran a game where large portions of the campaign took place on sea, though I wouldn't say I utilized starvation, storms, travel time, a plague, the way you mentioned, which I think would be really amazing. One thing I think you guys failed to touch on was the morality issue. With ships, you get to go into a moral zone that often would go unused in other campaigns. For instance, you seize a vessel. What do you do with the crew? Do you ingratiate with your crew? Do If you do, this leads to all kinds of interesting potential future issues. Do you let them go? Maybe they come back for revenge. Do you kill them all? Drop them off on an island? All kinds of interesting and fun things you can do there, which is... Touche, man. Lots of choices. Yeah, it, it's well, the, it's the it's the the goblins kneel and say quarter, quarter. We beg for mercy. Yeah. Ah, shit. Damn it. Yes. Boarding party, kill them all. We give. Ah, crap. Right. I got twenty men and women on the uh, enemy pirate ship that I just gave up. Son of a bitch. Carry on. Continues. Or what happens when you run out of food, <laughs> especially as the rations run out? Do they steal them? Does someone else? You can run a whole session off stolen provisions among the crew. I see a lot of avenues you can go down that shouldn't be purely minutia. And the role play opportunities are unique in many ways. You stuck, you're stuck on this ship with these people. These are constant power struggles between the various factions and positions. When you enter leadership, how do you lead? How do you command respect? Combat can be very complicated as well because there are many factors to keep track of. Ship distance, grapples, cannons who's on which ship. I've yet to find a system that elegantly handles all these details. I find mini combat is much better in this regard. Keeping track of ships, positions, islands, etc. goes a lot better. Goes a lot better. A virtual tabletop may be desirable, even if gaming in person. I forget if it was a plugin, but in map tools, I was able to pull a ship uh, to pull a ship and all the characters on top would move and stay in place. Speaking of this, maybe you could have an episode on vehicles and combats in general because they aren't very well done anywhere. The best I've probably seen is Savage Worlds, and it's not done very well there, honestly. They just really dumbed it down, making it easy to play. I also agree water is ominous. I do not like swimming in water where I can't see a fair distance away. It creeps me out. I'm going to jump in real quick. There is an interesting thought that just came to my mind that Matt, when he talks about on the ship how tight it is, the thing that you just said there, Matt, that makes me think I would have fun doing this is that a ship is basically a micro city campaign, a city you can't leave, which was essentially every Vampire the Masquerade game 
that you <laughs> that we ran back in the day because it was such a bitch to travel from Chicago to New York or wherever because traveling was really difficult. You ended up staying in the city and you had boundaries. You really couldn't leave certain areas. So if you think about a ship, especially a larger galley or whatever, um, they're they're big. I mean, I've talked to folks who are in Navy, and now granted, the aircraft carriers are literally floating cities in size. They're fucking gigantic. But you get something with three, four banks of oars and so forth. It's big. And thinking of it as basically a small floating city, quote unquote, adventure might be an interesting approach to take. Cool. Anyway, I'm done interrupting Sean. Back to you, sir. All right. End seafaring rant. On to organized play. So I'm a four-star GM in Pathfinder Society. I'm close to the 150 I need to be in order to be five-star, but have never been to a con, so I don't qualify anyway. And have run, and I have run Shadowrun missions, though very unofficially because their barrier for running officially is slightly higher, and it was with a group of about 10 people, so we all just played together. I've also played at least as many as I've ran, probably more. So I have quite a bit of experience here, though I haven't played or ran any since my daughter was born, which is now over three years ago. So it's been a while and I'm not sure how the industry has evolved. While I haven't been able to get any in for several years now, I love organized play. It's really a great tool for gamers and uh, that don't really have any way to get into a regular group. Generally, most people that aren't nine to fivers can really benefit from organized play because I find it's harder for us to find solid groups, especially if you have a non-set schedule. But even if you just have kids and school events and church events, you may not be able to commit to a campaign. For these people in particular, organized play is like the only gaming they'll be able to get in ever. There have been times where it would have been easy for me in between gaming because of how my life tends to flow. With online play, now it's especially beneficial. It's also just a great way to complement your traditional games if you're so lucky. I was lucky enough to play in and run a campaign and used organized play in the gaps for several years while I was younger. Additionally, it can allow you to try different builds, which for me is really fun. I have at least 10 different characters in PFS, Pathfinder Society, and I would have never been able to explore all these builds through traditional play opportunities. I could see how many, excuse me, I could see how some may think this is a negative, but it's major positive to a gamer like myself. It also, it's also a great environment to learn how to game master. You can get in for one session on a pre-written mission with people just looking for that one shot experience. You screwed up, whatever, unless it kills someone. And I know many GMs who got their start in organized play. So the structure is basically this. You go on an adventure, you can use what you find in the game during the game, you win or lose but don't die, you get some cash, you can buy gear based on what you've unlocked, varies by game, you get XP, when you get enough, three sessions in Pathfinder Society, you can level. There are certain rules set out by the controllers on things like which classes you can be and what you start with, basically the house rules. Now, it does have some negatives. The GM can't house rule or do things outside of the rules. Now, for the most part, this isn't too strictly enforced, but I have seen a GM narked out once for allowing a player to do a rule of cool type during an encounter. This has only happened one time I know of in hundreds of games, but it's something you don't have to worry about at all outside of organized play. 
the cause uh, this causes other problems too. For instance, there is a good chance that a player has much greater system mastery than the game master, and even if he doesn't, he may know some everything about this build or his build. He only needs to master a very short rule list about this PC. The GM needs to know a lot more. Yeah, that's I find that to be so very true. So on the head. Therefore, they can game the system. And most of the time, you don't want to stop during the game every 20 minutes to look up a rule, so they tend to get hand-waved a lot. This can also cause conflict when neither the player nor the GM won't relent on an issue. If it's not a life or death issue, the best advice I have is the player lets the GM ruling stand and they find the rules after the game. Also, broken issues that may come up can take several months to fix. For instance... PFS has made several builds illegal, but they usually allow them until the next session rulebooks comes out, which is once a year. It's not unheard of for a bunch of synth summoners to run through and solo appropriate level encounters for a year until they get banned. This is also painful to the players, as instead of maybe being able to adjust a few things and keeping their PCs, they have to do complete rebuilds. Note, All the negatives are greatly exasperated with online players. When I went to FLGS, you rarely run into any of this. I don't know why, but online gamers just seem to have crazier system mastery than IRL players. And even if it's broken, sometimes IRL players scale back a little more. All in all, campaign play is superior, and I recommend it over organized play. If you can't do a campaign, it's preferable to do organized play than not game. And if you can do a campaign... And some organized play, that's the best of all worlds. If you have any questions, you can feel free to ask. I may have an answer for you. As I said, it's been probably four years since my last game, but I still remember some stuff. Thanks, guys. Good stuff. And don't forget the vehicle episode. We'll have to do vehicles episode. That's interesting. You, sir, have a solid grasp. Yeah. I would say, Matt, around the the online side. Hmm. The rules mastery, basically, what I what I get out of that, Sean, is the negatives that Matt's pointing out is the same shit I run into in home groups, con games, whether it's organized play or not. You know, I, I've I bumped into this, all of those negative types of things. Um, I remember playing Vampire at one point. There were certain powers that would come out in a book, and a new splat book or something for a clan. I said, hey, you want to play an Asimite? I want this power. Sure. I don't see why that'd be that bad. Nine lives was the one trying to be a motherfucker to kill a guy or to hurt him in any way. It was just weird things we'd have to say. All right, as of today, this character, this power is no longer available for anybody, right? You'd have to nerf things. You have to go at it and try to fix stuff when you would find it was broken. Maybe not broken from a rules overall integration perspective, but how the group played or whatever. So, huh, interesting. And I think we talked about this there is that people will generally... If anybody works retail or anything like that, everybody has a bad story and they're happy to share the shittiest of experiences they had. Oh, I went to that restaurant one time. Let me tell you about how bad it was. And it's very hard to get people to talk about the good things. So, Matt, I appreciate you calling out the ups for organized play. I think it's I think it's important because um, there's, there is a lot of good stuff in it. And while it may not be for everybody, it's, as you said, if you're a gamer... And that's the best and only way you can game because of schedule and whatever. That's better than not gaming at all. It really is. 
And um, there's, as he says, the bad stories, they're few and far between. Most people, most people aren't assholes. Most people are pretty good people. So there we go. There you go. And that's the rest of the story. Yes, that is by the rest Paul, of the story. By Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. If you're old enough to know that, you win a no prize. <laughs> All right, shall we? Yeah, let's get into the main topic. All right, Brett. This is yours, man. You want to talk about detecting evil. Detect evil, man. And this may be really short. So what was the genesis of this, Sean? <laughs> Running Tomb of Annihilation. Uh-huh. I mentioned this at one point. The party runs into somebody roaming around the jungle. And of course, my goofy paladin player character of the party says, I detect evil. And of course, well, I don't I don't even want to say anything because maybe they're listening. No, they don't listen to this. <laughs> we don't care anyway. Joe might. I don't know. But get Joe, him. Joe get him. Get him, Sean. Get him. Yeah, get him. Ah, no, they're not. <laughs> but anyways, I always had an issue with detect evil. And I think this is kind of a weird dynamic because when I was talking to Brett about this before the show, he's like, well, you know, it's funny how many rules we don't read. Because we know them from ages past. Yeah, because they've never changed. So Detect Evil must be the same every edition. Or they have changed. We just haven't bothered to fucking look since (laughs) first edition. So we're going to complain about a rule that doesn't even really apply to the issue that I have with Detect Evil because they changed it to make more sense. Well, maybe. Well, I'll tell you what. I And I mentioned this to Sean, and <laughs> I was gaming with a group of guys. We were playing 3-0, D&D 3-0. And they said, 3-5 is out. I'm like, fucking Jesus Christ. Like everybody, like, not like everybody else, but a lot of people. And you were like, oh, my God, 3-5. Uh, oh, we want to play this. Fine. I ran into a deal. I bought the 3-5 books. And every time somebody would try to use something, I would say, because I was being pissy as the game master they made me buy a new set of fucking rule books i said look it up and tell me how it really works so from 30 to 35 i being an ass <laughs> game master like read it i don't believe it they may have changed it they could have changed it that was like this kooky mantra i had but the more we did that the more i realized it mattered because like wow well, ne- that never worked that way compare that to 30 fuck we were doing it wrong there too especially when it comes to spells and effects and powers and things Shit has changed, especially when you're in a game system that has longevity like D&D. I'm positive something from 4th edition to 5th is not the same, and probably all the way back to 1st. So I'm willing to bet, Sean, that your person was thinking of the old-school paladin rule back in the day where detect evil, a paladin can detect evil at any range up to 60 feet at will, provided they concentrate on doing so. It's probably what they were trying to figure out right this detecting evil right and if i remember correctly i'm, I'm looking at my osric rule here because i have this in front of me detect evil in osric the spell allows a magic user to detect emanations of evil um or good if you reverse the spell with the spell's effect <clears throat> area of effect a beam-like pathway the spell detects evil not danger so it'll be useless to discover things such as mindless traps or poison wine glasses neither will it detect a cursed item unless the nature of the curse is such that the cursed item is inherently evil Let's go to 5e, Divine Sense for Paladin. The presence of strong evil registers in your senses like a noxious odor. Powerful 
Good rings like a heavenly music in your ears. As an action, you can open your awareness to detect such forces. Until the end of your next turn, you know the location of, not evil, not good, Sean, of any celestial, fiend, or undead within 60 feet of you that is not behind total cover. You know the type, celestial, fiend, or undead, of any being whose presence you sense, but not its identity. You wouldn't know Count Strahd was standing back there. Within the same radius, you can also detect the presence of any place or object that has been consecrated or desecrated. If you look at the spell, the spell is very much the same. And the interesting thing here is 5th is edition did a thing which I really like, is it took the nuance around, well, what's evil? Because this is where my players would argue the fuck out of something. You would have the paladin walking on the street back in the high school days. We used to count experience points all the time. I need some experience points. I'm a paladin. I detect evil in a bar. Who's evil? Um, the thief? I cut him down. There, level up. Because he's evil. I'm a paladin. It's it's you know, it's my idiom, it's what I do. And the world is better for it. Exactly. So detect evil and good in the five e book. For the duration, you know if there's an aberration, so an additional one, you know, an aberration, celestial, elemental, ooh, cool, fey, fiend, or undead within thirty feet. As well as where location is located and so forth, so on. It doesn't talk about evil. No. Or actually good. It talks about a type, a creature type, an entity type, a racial type, if you will. If it's fey, it tells you what that is and so forth. And I have not gone back to second edition or third or 3.0 or even my Pathfinder book to see how the hell did they do it? And I think it's interesting because we old Grognard guys will look at these things and say, oh, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. And other players who are playing, who have played with us historically, will say, oh, yeah, I detect evil. And sometimes what's on the outside of the tin is not what's on the inside. Because that's not really detecting evil. That's detecting a type of creature. Right. And, or consecration or desecration. It would tell you, ah, yes, there's a fiend over there. You have no idea if that fiend means, means you any harm. You know it's a fiend. But you don't know if that fiend wants to make a deal with you because it will need to do something. You don't know if that celestial is actually a conniving son of a bitch who will use you as a distraction and a sacrifice for the greater good. You don't know that. Which is where we would have the arguments back in the day by detect evil. Well, you, he's an angel. What if the angel had a nefarious meaning? To their actions. Like, like what? Well, they can't just sacrifice me for the greater good. That's an evil act. Then we would get arguing, like an alignment arguing, right? About what's good and what's not. So you'd always try, well, if the, if the alignment of the thing is evil, therefore it has to be evil. And oh my God, blah, the nuancey, bullshitty stuff would go back and forth. So I think what I, when you and I started talking about it, a little kind of pre-show preamble, I think it's 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 like this wonderful case of Look up the rule. Do not assume what it does as a player or anything else. You need to you need to check that out. Even if you don't want to, you know, you could fuck the rules. Ha, 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 Brett will say sometimes. But you need to look that stuff up. You can't just go with it by saying, oh, I know what that is. And just assume by a title that you understand it. Fireball and 5e, slightly different than previous. Magic Missile operates a little bit different. Magic Missile and Redbox is different than it is in first edition AD&D, ladies and gentlemen. So it it's different. It does not always operate the same. So, Sean, what happened in your, so I totally 
like thunder stealing there. I apologize, but how did how did they go in your game? Did your did your player get crabby that something didn't work or what happened? I think I mentioned to him that it something just didn't seem right. Okay, but they couldn't put their finger on it. Pretty ambiguous, not hard and fast. And if I read the rule, <laughs> nothing. If I, read, if I read the rule, it would be like, yep, okay, sounds good. Well, but is are they evil? I don't know. No one dead. No celestials, no right. fiends or aberrations. Yeah, it looks good to me. Right. Well, I could tell you just by looking at him. Well, no, not necessarily. Succubus transformed into shape or something. Yeah. Never know. Never know. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's. Was the player like pissed at that? No, no, he's not. He doesn't get too bad on me. Okay. Really, he's he kind of lets it go. He understands. He may kind of he'll cut. Jeff is interesting because he'll try to bring up a counterpoint, or he'll try to he will try to explain where he's coming from. Yep. And in doing so, it's not a big deal to me. If somebody says, "Hey, man, this is kind of why I'm doing this. I just want to make sure." And if I said that's not how it works, he'd be like, "Uh, oh, uh, okay," and he'd be good with that. I've got other players. They'll go to the mat. Which is I why say, I have a another player but that, that go to the mat. What I find is interesting is um They would I'm, they would even read that rule, Brett, and they would be like, What? That doesn't make any sense at all. That's bullshit. Man, I should be able to determine whether the person's got an evil background or not. Dur, 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 and I'll be like, Which is hilarious because I will use this rule to defend my point of view. The rule doesn't work. So the rule is wrong and my point of view is solid. That's right. You, you went from being a rules lawyer. <laughs> person to fuck that it should be this because <laughs> i am right this is how this functions yeah, it's funny how it's it's argued in the favor of them regardless of what's oh, I, either a rule or not i had a group that was good or neutral and they used the shit out of detecting undead oh, yeah. and evil oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. they were pissed as hell when my bad guys found them how that doesn't make sense they can detect good well, why would they just be doing that? I don't fucking know. It's an evil fortress. They they are in the middle of fucking nowhere. They're designed to protect themselves uh, from good. Why would anybody coming. do that? Because yeah. they're fucking vile. They serve a demiolage of from. Oh my god, what? What are you asking me? And uh, so once the tables are turned, they get a little crabby about it. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> but I think detect evil. It it does. It can lend itself to the alignment argument, right? Well, how do I know if that's not yeah. really evil? That's just a type of thing. <sighs> My well, piece is I, I don't have, you know, uh, Perkins or Merle's here. So I could say, why did you leave it? Detect evil or detect good when it's really detect monster type. type. Right. Why did you? Oh, probably. Brett's theory is that it's always been called that. Right. It's a bit of a sacred cow. You kind of drag along and, and change its performance features. <sighs> you know, speaking why, of which I want to, I want to interrupt quick because so I have, a woman at work whose kids are getting into D her one child is getting into D and D pretty heavy. I think he's, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's 13 yet. Good. Yeah. And, but one of the things she mentioned was, you know, I don't understand it, blah, blah, blah. And I go, what do you mean? And she was explaining like, well, why, why is there like, like these numbers? And then right after it has these numbers, but you never look at the numbers, the previous numbers. You only look at the pluses. Right. Stats. And, yeah. So I, as soon as she said it, I'm like, oh, you're talking about ability scores. And I said, yep, you never really use any of those in D&D except for the modifiers most of the time. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember the last time I'm like, oh, 
give me a strength and roll under 18 or roll under your strength score. The time that I used to do that was when you would make a, was you try to do something, usually dexterity, intelligence, some before we had skills. Yes. So in a skill list system, not even DCC because DCC, you can say you have, oh, I have a knowledge or whatever. Kind of, it has a system within it how to handle this. But in a game where there were no skills, it was based on player skill. And we were kind of leaning towards, but my character is a wizard. He's way smarter than me. Would, would, would you know, Falcor the Mighty not remember this? Roll your intelligence or less. And if you had a 19 intelligence, it was pretty fucking simple. If you had a 10 intelligence, it wasn't so easy. So it was always roll your stat or less on a d20. And lo and behold, you could make something happen. You know, uh, first edition, you had lots of different Ben Bars left gates. You had different statistic-based abil- abilities. Bending bars, lifting gates, um, and how many languages you knew, and so on and so forth. So, but we kind of took that idea of strength, allowing you to carry heavy loads, bend bars, lift gates, bust open, break down a door, and just extrapolated that to the other statistics. Right. So it is, it is interesting because we'll often... This is one of those cases where, you know, the game master, if you make a call at the time, like, look, you're not going to notice anything. It's kind of ambiguous. I think that's a legit way to go. You can say your paladin is trying to detect evil. Now, normally, they would detect evil, and that would allow them to aberrations, undead, fiends, whatnot, blah, blah, blah. If this person were a cleric or a thief that paid homage to Jubilex, or was in league with a demon, Orcus, or if they were doing something, I could see saying they are tainted in some way. You may not detect the undead upon that person, and that that priestess may not necessarily detect as an aberration, but she worships this deity, and that may have rubbed off a little bit. Does that? So I, I so I think your little statement of house rule makes sense. Does that make, does, do you buy that? Yeah. Yeah. It was just something I thought was interesting that came up really quick. And I'm like, huh. That, I mean, she doesn't play the game. And all of a sudden she realized, like, I don't understand why this is there. And I'm like, it's merely to reference the modifiers. That's it. Yeah. It's That's a modifier it. chart. You're shake. You're rolling. If you're rolling, otherwise you just pick, you just have a list of modifiers. Well, then why do you got to pick if it's, <laughs> no, no, if I, it's point allocation, then why use, yes. yeah, I don't like, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Anyways, I do want to point out, and I, I'll have a link in the show notes under die roll for uh, Paul's game blog, because he went into Spells Through the Ages, Detect Evil. Oh, nice. And it's an eight-year, going on nine-year-old blog entry. But he talks a little bit about, here is the Detect Evil spell from OD&D, volume one, page 24. A spell to detect evil, thought, or intent in any creature or evilly enchanted object. Note that poison, for example, is neither good nor evil. Duration, two turns, range, six inches. Well, that would say if you had a cursed magic item, its intent is to do harm to you, therefore it's evil, and therefore I could detect it with that. Yes, sure. House rule, done. I agree. That comes down to how how well do I lawyer up and argue you off your point, sir. Right. Interesting. Yeah, this is, this is, he goes into it a little bit. And then, um, okay, so the question is in OD&D, are chaotic creatures evil? 
Well, let's take a look at the BX version of the spell, which also has the single axis alignment system. So that also plays a role mm -hmm. in, in that game. Detect evil, range 120 feet, duration six turns. This spell can be used to detect evil intentions or evilly enchanted objects within 120 feet, causing the creatures or objects to glow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hobbs is Hobbs. Hey, Hobbs, do you play it that way? Interesting. I'd be interested to hear how Hobbs runs this since the BX is his, his <coughs> That's jam. That's his jam, totally. Yeah. I'll tell Actually, you, I, I used to do a thing. I found my old, an alt rule I wrote a while back for, for my group when I started running in Avalon. We, I didn't want... I cut out alignment for any non-religious-based class because I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. Based on how we were running at the time, um, if you were a religious-based class... You had to You, you, you had, had alignment because follow. you, you, you followed a, a dictum. You followed a path, right. a thing sure. you were on. So clerics, holy fighters, blah, blah, blah. They had tenets of their faith. Though one the, could argue that that's all bullshit too. But anyway. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But that was, we went, okay, well, we buy that. It was a, and I said, those types of things would be detectable. So if you detect a good law or evil chaos, you could find that because that is a priest of law or that is a priest of chaos. You could detect such a thing. Um, I'd also said, and my friends, because we had the, but what if type of thing. So I said, additionally, if a person had recently acted or thought in a strong enough fashion, they could also be detectable. As an example, I said, would a person who has just performed a good deed, such as saving a child from a runaway wagon, would detect as a good person for a certain amount of time? A person who just picked a pocket would detect as evil for a certain amount of time. The residual detectability would work for locations and other inanimate, non-intelligent items. Dark mage would perform an evil ritual, such as in his tower or on the edge of town. Over time, the tower itself could detect as an evil place. A blade that was used to fight demons and defeat undead would detect as good. Um, you'd be, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, if you had a dagger that was used as, as a murder weapon it would potentially become an evil aligned thing insofar as we detect as such. And that fit the type of game we were doing at the time. The group was like, yes, we like that. We can totally work with it. Because if I remember correctly, 3035 in Pathfinder was detect good law or evil chaos. You could detect on the alignment axis in the different directions. And it, because I think the, the detection of intent it just leads right into the old alignment arguments. Well, here we go. So, which is why five E gets rid of that and says, "Nope, it's type." Carry continuing on. on with BX, actual thoughts are not detected; only the feeling or evil of evil. The exact definition of evil is left to each referee. <laughs> and <laughs> you already see the problem there. And players should discuss this point so that all are in agreement. So, chaotic is not always evil. Poison and physical traps are neither good nor evil. So that's BX. Now, I bet if I were to run that and it says like people would glow or creatures or objects would glow, it would probably be just to that person, right? It wouldn't be like, oh my God, look, that guy's glowing. I don't know. It doesn't well, state that. So it this, this is, how would you play that though? Wouldn't you rule we that? Always, and say, no, we always played that if it glowed, it glowed, everybody could see it. Oh, really? The reason you did that, the reason we did that. Because it stopped the dickhead paladin or cleric from just casting this willing. Because the paladin could do it at will. Yeah. Pop, pop, pop. And we'd be like, no, everybody knows and they know you did it. Right. So at a certain point, you glow evil and you drew, and you, the cleric Sean, drew that attention to me. I know you did it. 
I know you cast a spell on me and I'm glowing. I got And I know you're the one that did it to me. Oh. Everybody can see it and now I fucking hate you. Otherwise, you do, ha, click, everybody's glowing evil, ta, ha, ha, no one knows I did it. Nope, 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 nope. That's not, again, <laughs> that's, that was all house really because yeah. we were trying to figure out this moral, what's evil? What is the question of evil? My God, we were in high school. What did you expect we were going to do? Have you murdered or raped anybody? No. Okay, maybe you're not, well, that's not, that's really evil. But what about these other lesser versions of evil? And Oh, my God. Well, here, so first edition muddies the waters first uh, further player's handbook page 44 which is the osric kind of explanation that you read brett uh-huh. spell which discovers emanations of evil or of good in the case of the reverse spell from any creature or object mm-hmm. for example evil alignment or an evilly accursed object will radiate evil but a hidden trap or an unintelligent viper will not the duration of a detect evil uh blah 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 per level Thus, a cleric first level lasts this long. The spell has a path of detection one inch wide in the direction in which the cleric is facing. It's a beam. It requires the use of the cleric's holy or unholy symbol as its material component with the, cleric, with the cleric holding it before him or her. Which is why the DM's like, uh, are you fucking presenting your holy symbol? Uh, yeah, the bad guy sees you do that. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. And But if they're behind you. Can't see it. You don't detect anything. No. <laughs> you have to project your detect. Yeah. Um, hilarious, man. Detection spells and detection abilities. Um, this leads into things like sixth sense or danger sense and all of those things. Because the whole concept behind this is to give you the, the character a leg up on the situation. Get you knowledge. Get you something to get your ass out of whatever potential fire it could be in. You want to detect evil because you're afraid... Or you're worried about the person or thing or whatever is in front of you. Is this evil or not? It's a truth serum of sorts. It's a it's a way to do a pass. And it's like the um, danger sense is a very favorite one for my group too. Or any variation on the theme is because like, okay, how? I have danger sense. Oh, shit. I forgot. The game master didn't write it down. So uh, fine. You're not surprised. You don't lose your decks. Blah, blah, blah. You have full, you know. It's all about stacking the deck in the favor of the person with the detection ability, whether it's detecting danger, detecting traps, an innate knowledge of whatever, persons, emanations, whatnot. What I think is fun from the Game Master perspective is you flip that shit and give it to the bad guys. And when the Priestess of Loth you know, she's the shadow priestess of Loth. She has concealed herself with magics. And then she has para- proof against detection and location. She has um, this magic item that stops you from detecting her alignment. So forth. that was very popular. Um, I shouldn't say popular. It was spread throughout AD&D first, I think, in second edition as well. My friends and I didn't use it that often. Every once in a while, somebody would have something that would prove you, uh, proof you against detection of some sort. But our game masters, myself included at the time, we failed to give those things to our bad guys, which I think we should have done more often. You'd read that module, go, oh my God, that's why you didn't know it was really a vampire because he had, pr- oh, he was able to mask his undead identity because that stupid amulet he wore. Oh my God, that that's a really good idea. And then two adventures later, we forget that such such magic items were possible. So I, th- I think it's it's interesting because the whole concept behind detecting and finding things 
magically so that you don't have to go stick your hand in the fire. Is that hot? I don't know. Let me go find out. I'd I like did, to find like to. I'd like it, a thermometer, please. Can I get I some de- sort of a reading? I detect hot. There was a old Dragon magazine, the April Fool's edition. It had um, April Fool's magic items in them. One was detect uh, detect terrain, range, touch. The semantic component was closing your eyes and falling flat on your face. God, because you could detect terrain, right? And uh, detect fire, range, touch. Um, it was greatly enhanced if you used lamp oil. <laughs> that's just the type of thing but the whole concept is detecting evil or any variation on this is so that you can find stuff out in my sci-fi games when we're playing star wars or whatever we're running scans scan that planet scan that ship scan that soldier hey get over there check that out scan 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 we're checking and probing and trying to find as much as we can before we dock or land or poke around looking for life forms you're doing this stuff chewy there are life forms you know, you, you're checking constantly because you want to get as much information as you can. Forewarned is forearmed. And um, it's, I think some players get cranky when it's not infallible. Right? And I think the 5e version of it saying, look, it detects these types. There's probably still magical protection spells or magic items. I haven't read through them all in a while that can hide or, or guard against such detections. But I think um, every time anyone's played it out on me, like, ah, I've got to detect X joke on that motherfucker. <laughs> I can detect that. I have danger sense. Good luck on nailing me, Brett. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's always kind of this whack, this Trump card that they try to, to play. And, um, when it doesn't work, the person who loves to play it as a trump card gets really crabby. At least in my experience, they, they can get, get, get a little crabby when it never works. Why did I bother waste the points on that? Why do I even bother memorizing that spell? Because it never fucking works, blah, blah, blah. I just said memorizing. I can't believe it's not that. Anyway, Sean, any, any other points on this? Any other well, there was the 3-0 version, which, seemed, which is even wonkier. I yeah, think. hit me with it. Hit me with it. So this one is one standard action, range 60 feet, area cone-shaped emanation, concentration up to 10 minutes duration. So the... The dragon breath version. You can sense the presence of evil. The amount of information revealed depends on how long you study a particular area or subject. Evil! It is based on rounds. So in the first round, you can... The presence or absence of evil. So, okay, round one goes by. Second round, number of evil auras, creatures, objects, or spells in the area, and the power of the most potent evil aura present. If you are a good of good alignment and the strongest evil aura's power is overwhelming, which is down below because they have power levels of the aura, faint, moderate, strong, overwhelming. Yes. Okay. Going back to what I just said. And zombie, the zombie, zombie, zombie. Oh my God, what's that? <laughs> the strongest evil aura's power is overwhelming. And the hit dice or level of the aura source is at least twice your character level, Brett. You are stunned for a round and the spell ends. Aye, a lich. Oh, I can't take it. Poof. I fall down. Third round. Round three. Ding, ding. The power and location of each aura. So now you can finally figure out where it's at. 
if an aura is outside your line of sight, then you discern its direction, but not its exact location. Seems to be around us somewhere above <laughs> red dragon fire. There it is. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Aura power. An evil aura's power depends on the type of evil creature or object that you're detecting and its hit dice caster level, or in the case of a cleric class level, uh, see the accompanying table. If an aura falls into more than one strength category, the spell indicates the stronger of the two. So there is a creature object kind of column. I got to tell you, man, I've tuned out. It's dude. It's, 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 you got to know this stuff, Brett. I know, which is why, like I say, I learned this heavy in three out of th- in three O to three five, and then to Pathfinder. I look at my crew and say, "Look it up." Yeah, I'm sure this is how it works. Look it up. Show me where that works like that, or I would look it up. Until we played it often enough that we knew how it worked, or we had our house rule <laughs> beaten into our heads to speed up play, whatever it was that we did. Interesting. Yeah, now, that, that that is a that is a paragraph and a half or more plus a chart probably. Yeah. Way past it detects evil and evil intent. Well, in a, in so a the, theme. <laughs> the aura depends on the hit dice of the creature and object. So if you're a cleric of an evil deity, uh well, this is a better one. Evil magic item or spell caster level, twenty-first level or higher, it's overwhelming aura. So I understand what they're trying to get at. It's they're trying to kind of give you a sense of well, if it's an evil creature, uh, except for undead and outsiders, which have their own entries on the table, if it's an evil creature and it's a 10 hit dice or lower, it's faint. Yeah, they're trying to say zombie, zombie, skeleton, zombie, right. zombie. Faint, white, white. Oh, wait. Oh, geez. Vampire, vampire lord, vampire lord. You know, that's right. what you're trying to do. Yeah. Now, it also goes into lingering aura, which means an evil aura lingers after its original source dissipates if it's a spell. Or is destroyed in the case of a creature or magic item. So literally a lich could leave and leave an evil aura behind. So if detect evil is cast and directed at such a location. That's equivalent of of a really nasty undead fart in a room and then leave it. Exactly. That's exactly really right, Brett. That's nice. Brett going into the flatulence. That's Sorry. all. Sorry. It's, that's how hey, it's the end of the, I, we haven't done a fart joke in a while. And it's, that's how we roll. The, it's almost the end of 2018. The spell indicates an aura strength of dim, even weaker than a faint aura. So how long the aura lingers at the dim level depends on its original power. Huh. So if it's if it's over again going back to the previous table if it's overwhelming aura it can last up to 1d6 days but it would be dim. Animals traps poisons and other potential perils are not evil. I think we've got that. And as such this spell does not detect them. Each round you can turn to detect Evil in a new area, the spell can penetrate barriers, but one foot of stone, one inch of common metal, then sheet of lead, or three foot of wood or dirt blocks. Hmm. <laughs> Detect evil. Am I evil? Well, I mean, think about it. You went from a statement of, hey, you can detect evil if you're a paladin at will. Okay. Uh, how? What does that take for? Do they glow? What is it? And then... I understand the reasoning behind making it complicated and trying to do all of these bits and pieces because what it, what you just read to me is exactly what my group would try to do. How strong of an aura is it? Yeah. You detect magic on a Because now a sword. I know how many hit dice the creature is. Again, it was all trying to get a leg up. We would yeah. you, we used to do this to my buddy Eric Schaefer. He was our DM in high school. Eric Schaefer, shout out to Eric Schaefer. 
Detect magic. Eric would say, yes, the sword glows magic. How bright? Pretty bright. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on like, we'll say like on a plus one to plus five scale. How where does it glow? Fine, it's a two. Yay, plus two sword. Thank you, Eric. Because you get sick of our shenanigans. <laughs> it's the same principle. How evil is that guy? Well, fairly evil. A scale of zombie the lich. Where would you put him? On a hit dice level. On a hit dice level. One uh, to twenty. Yeah, where would you place it? And I like, I honestly like the three, uh, excuse me, the 5e version. Look, it detects type. Done. Aberrants, fey, undead, fiends. There you are. Move on. Because if you try, if you get too detailed, if it's too vague, it's no good. And because all the creatures in D&D now have a type, they've had a type for quite some time, but just Tacking it onto the type just seems to be a faster, easier way to get some data and not overwhelm either side with bookwork. Detection stuff, man, it's tricky. It really is. Because, again, it's for the players to try to figure stuff out. Right. And <laughs> Come do, on, not, man. do not Throw be me af- a bone, dude. I got the spell. Do not be afraid to have your bad guys do the same thing to the players. Yeah, definitely reverse it for oh, sure. Oh, totally reverse it. If the players have been kicking ass, that bad guy, when he goes back and reports to his dread to the dread queen, and she's like, All right, cool. Let's start doing some research. Let's start detecting. Let's start looking. Let's start probing and prying. You know, hey, I got five guys with danger sense. Those are the assassins I'm sending. I'm not sending I'm not sending run the mill anybody. Get my best people. Type of thing. So Turn this on the players when they lean on this as a way to get out of stuff or to get info. Do not be afraid to have the bad guys do the same. That's my advice on that one. Right. All right, man. Shall we? Yeah, let's get into die roll. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Uh, I will have links to a couple of the references we have, uh, mentioned earlier uh but going into a couple that i have jason corley's lamps light sanitarium a horror source book for our fifth edition uh so jason had pinged us on twitter and said hey would you like me to come on and talk about evil and um playing evil campaigns running evil campaigns and things of that nature because jason had produced this source book which you can now pre-order with the expected delivery of March 2019. He kickstarted it successfully. Um, so it's using the 5e rules. It almost looks like it's uh dare I say Lovecraftian look. Yeah, he has that has that feel from the art he's got presented there. Yeah. Interesting. So I'll shout out to Jason. If you're interested, we'll have a link in the show notes. So you show notes to the Kickstarter. And I don't know if you, I think there is a button to pre-order on the Kickstarter. Which, yes, there is. I'm looking at it right now. Which is probably like a backer kit ed- edition if you missed the Kickstarter. So if you want to check that out, by all means, I imagine. I don't know. I can't speak for Jason, but I'm sure he'll have it out on drive through uh, that you'll be able to get it later. Yeah. So check that out if you want to roll that way. Uh, another one, Paul's gaming blog. I just mentioned about him going through. It's a little dated, but it does pick up on some of the older you know, detect evil spells and kind of how he interpreted them. And uh, I thought it was pretty interesting right up. Also, the comments are interesting too. It looks like there's a few comments that you can talk or look into. 
And then lastly, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. So that's what I'm currently reading. Uh, it's by Sly Flourish. You may know him as Mike Shea. Um, it was kickstarted. I was in on that and I got the PDF and I'm ordering a couple of the print versions. It's you like pretty, it? I do like it. It's it's really fundamental. Mike really boils it down to, you know, here's here's your preparation. There is a little bit, but you really don't have to go crazy. He has a checklist and he talks about um catering the checklist to each and your kind of your preference and your campaign, but it's it's really like, hey, here's how to create, you know, wondrous locations. I mean, it's really elementary and uh, I would recommend any game master pick it up and peruse it. There is a discussion on drive-thru. So the link uh, that we'll have in the show notes is an affiliate link, but go to drive-thru RPG, look at the discussion comments because there's a couple people that are like, well, it's a lazy dungeon master, but it's like a hundred and some pages. I mean, come on. And it's, well, yeah, you put all the effort up front by reading it and then you put into that practice and you can run ad hoc adventures. Sly also has the uh, the Lazy DM's workbook, which is uh, also on drive through. Yeah, that's what I'm getting there. Yeah, the, the workbook is one you're getting because the return Lazy DM. It comes with both. It comes with both. Oh, very well. Nice. If you're a Kickstarter, you can't get one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so on, on drive through return, Lazy Dungeon Masters one. And that one is what seven bucks for the PDF, and the other one, as I the Lazy DM's workbook, is a separate PDF for five bucks. Yeah, but that's I mean that's cool. I I am oddly addicted to <laughs> game master books, how to game master stuff. It's interesting to listen to podcasts and read this stuff and just get other people's perspectives because sometimes you're like, ah, oh, that seems neat. I'll never use that, or wow, that's neat, and then. Two years later, you're like, I wonder where I got this idea from. And you read back, and wow, that was from this old Dragon magazine I read back in 85 or something. This stuff sticks. It's good. So he originally did the Lazy Dungeon Master. And then the return is the subsequent follow-up to that. So somebody would say, well, what's the difference? He rewrote the entire book, but it's based on the same concepts as the original. So the return is modified and updated he does use and admits freely up front that it's really kind of with 5e in mind, but there's the principles that you can use in a lot of different genre and games. So it's it's worth it because I mean, I have read I've, we talked about Stealing Cthulhu by Graham Walmsley, and I've read other books, um, stuff that Phil Vecchione did for um, for Gnome Publishing when they didn't for Engine. Yep. Those books, even when you read through them, you go, oh, yeah, interesting. Oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Oh, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, that doesn't seem like it worked for the game I'm running right now. It's it's totally fine. If nothing else, getting another perspective. Sometimes if not, if you see, you go, wow, I do lots of this. It validates what you're doing is totally fine, which some people may not like to talk about that out loud, but it's fucking nice to have validation like that. And the other piece is, oh, cost me eight bucks. I read it. That was pretty cool. I gleaned a few cool pieces out of it. And um, when that other person says, hey, boy, really, I'd like to game master. Boy, it just seems like a lot of work. I don't even know where to start. Read this. If you found one, you read it and go, boy, that was really good. It's the thing to hand to that wannabe game master who's like, they played a lot. They played a lot of 5e. They played a lot of Call of Cthulhu with you or whatever it is. And they're like, they don't even know where to begin. I could never be as good as you, Sean. Boy, you you really seem to know that that game mastering that you got that down cold, you know, Chris, I just don't know if I could ever do that. 
if you find a book like this that helps you or you think is pretty solid or you like the way it's laid out, and if you ever read one and say, boy, I wish I would have had this when I was starting, keep that book in mind and hand it to that next guy, girl, whomever you're running with or wants to run because I think it'd be a great way to get people you know, to understand it doesn't have to hurt that much. So there you go. Uh, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Oh, Mr. Blake Ryan hit us with the going back and rebooting one of our old campaign stories. I got a couple of them. I think Sean's answer is hell no. Nah. So it might be the Brett show. We'll see what happens. There. <laughs> hey, what a good way. You know, last year, this was, we are closing out right now. We are closing out the year of the Kelly. The year of the Kelly is almost over. It was a damn good year. You're still here. That was tough. You had your ups, you had your downs, Sean. But I got to say, man, proud of you. Good Thanks, job. man. Thanks. Thanks, Brett. It's funny. I've had um, I've had people, when I bump into them at GameholeCon or Gary Con or talked online, like, oh, yeah, well, the Kickstarter thing, oh, that's really cool, whatever. Boy, yeah, that, you know, how's the podcast, blah, blah, talk to Sean. Well, how would you talk to Sean? You don't know any of this? I know nothing about the podcast setup. Sean told me what mic to buy, what mic stand to get, how to run it, and what to do. If it would not be for you, Sean, I would not be on this microphone. And honestly, if it wouldn't be for you, I would not have a Kickstarter right now. So, oh, I don't know about that. It's oh, dude, it's because of you doing this with you that I met Phil, I met Chris, I met Bob, Aloyla Santa, everybody that I've met through this Kickstarter, um, Bob and Jen and all these people, and Jaleen all these really cool people that we met that's because of you man so thank you i appreciate it oh that's well you're welcome brad and couldn't like i just love gamers man just love you guys but uh hey 2019 let us know what you're going to be doing in 2019 if there's like one thing you're going to change we don't want to do the whole resolution thing but if there's like one thing you want to do as it relates to gaming Either you want to game master more, you want to run that one game of whatever, or you want to play in that one game, let us know on Twitter, email, voicemail, whatever it is, Reddit. Yeah, hit us up. Hit us up. We'd be interested. But otherwise, it's been a great 2018. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for joining us. I don't know what else to say. See you in 2019. That sounds good to me, man. Hey, good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Hawk Sparrow, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Brian Kurtz, Matt Cyberlick, Corey Welch, Kyle Winter, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Jad Glayman, Marco Froelich, Floor Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.